to Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Indians Radio Network. Tribe Talk is brought to you by Cleveland Clinic. Access the number one care in Ohio anytime, anywhere. By Subway, the official training restaurant of the Cleveland Indians. By KeyBank, the banking home of the Cleveland Indians. Welcome to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse along with you this weekend from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland where the Indians are taking on the Toronto Blue Jays in a three-game series. Just the beginning of a seven-game homestand for the Tribe. Coming up on this week's show, we will visit with Indians third baseman Giovanni Urshela talking about some great defensive plays he made on the last road trip. We'll also check in with Tribe pitcher Dan Otero who has some thoughts on the spectacle that is batting practice for Madison Bumgarner, one of the best hitting pitchers in the major leagues with the San Francisco Giants. You know, it's a show. You know, he can probably put a good uh, put a good show on during the home run derby. But, yeah, for some reason, they never relievers join in on all the fun. So the Stars got all the fun every day, hitting all these cool ballparks, seeing how far they can hit it while well, we just have to watch. We'll also hear from Indians Major League Advance coach Scott Atchison and visit with former Indian from back in the 70s to Wayne Kuyper, now a broadcaster for the Giants, but still a soft spot in his heart for his time in Cleveland. I got to the, I got to the big leagues. I stayed in the big leagues. I had my best years in the big leagues, and they were all in a Cleveland uniform. Also joining us, James Harris, the Indians Director of Player Development, the Weekly Farm Report, plus a look back at the Week in Review, including Friday night's resounding win for the Tribe over the Blue Jays, thanks to Edwin Encarnacion. Swung on, hit high, deep to center field. It's got a chance. It is gone. That's all coming up as Tribe Talk gets rolling on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse back with you at Progressive Field this weekend as the Indians are taking on the Blue Jays here at the ballpark on a rock and blast weekend with a Saturday night game that is sold out and Sunday afternoon a 110 first pitch. Corey Kluber back on the mound for the Tribe on Sunday. Taking a look back at the week in review, and it was not an easy road trip for the Indians. They did pick up a win in San Francisco, their lone win on the trip on Monday night with a 5-3 to victory over the Giants. Jan Gomes got it started in the third inning. Still hitless on both sides as Matt Moore goes to work. Jan Gomes launches one high and deep to left. It's way back there, and it is a home run, Gomes! A mammoth towering shot to left off the bat of Gomes. And in a ballpark that doesn't yield many, the Indians have homered to take a 1-0 lead. Number six on the season for Gomes. The Giants would eventually take the lead 3-1, but in the fifth inning, the Indians would answer Bradley Zimmer with a ground ball back to the pitcher. But because he runs hard on every play, things turned out okay for the Tribe. 
Here's the 0-1. Swung on, bounced back to the mound. Knocked down by Moore. Retrieves it and flips it underhand over the first baseman's head down the right field line. Herschella scores. Moving up to second is Zimmer. And a terrible defensive play by Matt Moore gives the Indians a gift run here in the fifth. Giants three, the Tribe now two. Still in the fifth inning, Francisco Lindor would tie things up. The pitch to him. Swung on, lined into center field, and it gets down for a base hit. Browning third, heading for home is Zimmer. The throw is not in time. Zimmer scores. Lindor moves up to second, and this game is tied at three. Yeah, the Indians really making the Giants pay for the error now as Lindor comes through, and he's had a good road trip. The RBI here, his 44th on the season. Then some defense in the bottom half of the fifth inning. Giovanni Urshela is back up from AAA Columbus playing third base, and man, was he good in the field on Monday. Moore squares again, bunts it out in front of the mound, picked up Urshela, throws to second for one, back to first, double play! Oh, what a play by Giovanni Urshela on what looked to be a decent bunt, the Indians turn two. That was nearly a perfect bunt. He came in, cut in front of Josh, and Josh is a good fielder. Took over and made a terrific throw back across the mound to second base. What an athletic play. I never get tired of watching this guy play. He can really pick it at third. In the sixth, another San Francisco error gave the Indians a 4-3 lead. And then the Indians would add some insurance in the ninth inning with Francisco Lindor coming through again. The 0-1 is chopped up the middle. It hit the second base back, skips into center field, a base hit. That'll score an insurance run as Urshela crosses home plate. Lindor comes through with his third hit. Another RBI, and the Indians lead it 5-3. Oh, he's had quite a night. Francisco Lindor starting to heat up. Just what the doctor ordered for the Indians. And in the end, Cody Allen nailed down the save. Now the 2-2 pitch. Swung on line and caught at the mound by Allen. And that's it. The Indians win it. What a play by Cody Allen to end the ballgame. Isn't it fitting that it ends on a great defensive play? We saw some great defense throughout the entire game. Well-pitched game by Josh in the bullpen. Some timely hitting. Boy, a nice win. But that was the highlight of the road trip. The Indians lost 2-1 to in extra innings on Tuesday night. And then a come-from-behind win for San Francisco closed out the road trip. A 5-4 to loss for the Tribe in San Francisco on Wednesday. Much-needed off day Thursday, and the bats came out booming on Friday night for the Tribe. It was actually the Blue Jays that jumped out to the 2-1 to lead, but Edwin Encarnacion didn't wait long to get one back against his former team. Now the 2-2. Swung on, hit high, deep to center field. It's got a chance. It is gone. Well, Edwin Encarnacion made the adjustment and smoked one to dead center. So a team-high 20 homers and a team-high 51 RBIs for Edwin Encarnacion. And it's a 2-1 to ball game. The Blue Jays' lead is cut in half here in inning number two. 3-1 Blue Jays in the fifth inning when the Indians turn the game around. First, Eric Gonzalez batting with two men on. Here's the 1-2. Swung on, bouncing ball right side. Base hit in a right field. That'll play to Almane from third. And the Indians are on the board again on 
The RBI single by Eric Gonzalez. It's now the Blue Jays three and the Tribe two. RBI number four for Gonzalez, just punching one through the right side. Next to Michael Brantley, ground out with the bases loaded, tied the game, and the beginning was capped off by Edwin Encarnacion. Estrada leans in for the side. Now he's ready. The 3-2 pitch. Swung on, line drive, left center field, base hit. That scores Gonzalez. Right behind him is Brantley. Into second with a two-run double to put the Indians in front. Edwin Encarnacion. And what a night he's having against his old team. A solo home run and now a go-ahead two-run double. Tribe five, Blue Jays three. And that's the end of the line for Estrada, who was pitching well coming into this inning, but he does not escape the fifth. The Indians have knocked him out. Then in the seventh, the Indians blew it wide open with Encarnacion again coming up big. The pitch. Swung on a little flare to right. It's dropping base hit. Zimmer's hitting third. He's going to try to score. Batista's throw to the plate. In standing is Zimmer to score. And it's a four RBI night for Edwin Encarnacion. The Indians lead it six to three. A flare to right for Encarnacion. He's now homered, doubled, singled, walked, and driven in four. And so the Indians get a big tack on run. Zimmer scored from second. Brantley stops at second. Encarnacion now leads the club with 54 ribbies. He was followed by Jose Ramirez. Here is the 0-1 pitch. Swung on a liner toward the gap. Left center. It gets down for a base hit. It is going toward the track. In to score is Brantley. Encarnacion stops at third and pulling into second with an RBI double is Jose Ramirez. His league-leading 30th double of the year. And he now has 51 RBIs. And the Indians are blowing it open. Something they haven't done much of lately. And then Carlos Santana got in the act. Swung in, ripped to right. That's another base hit. In the scores, Encarnacion. Ramirez will stop at third. And Santana rifles an RBI single to right. Three straight RBI hits off Bellevue, and the Indians have removed all doubt. It's a blowout. The Indians now lead the Blue Jays 8-3. to And Santana has a multi-hit night, and he has 50 RBIs on the year. And that now gives the Indians four different players with 50 RBIs. One, of course, is on the DL and Lonnie Chisano. And Abe Almonte would put the game out of reach. The 1-0 pitch. Swung on, hit a ton. Deep right field. This ball gone. Babe Almonte with a three-run home run to right. An opposite field blast. And it's a six-run explosion. And the Indians are now bombing the Toronto Blue Jays 11-3. And just for good measure, Bradley Zimmer chipped in to complete a huge seventh inning for the Indians. The pitch to Zimmer. And he rifles one into right. It's a base hit. That is going to score two more runs. Perez and Gonzalez score. 
It's a 13-3 Indians blowout. And the Indians have blasted the Blue Jays for eight runs here in the seventh inning. And Bradley Zimmer's been on twice here in the seventh. Give him 27 RBIs on the two-run single to right. So the Tribe won it Friday night, 13-3, starting the homestand on an upbeat note in what will be a seven-game homestand, the three against the Blue Chase this weekend. Then the Reds in town for a makeup game Monday night at 7-10. Then the Angels come in for the first time this season. 7-10 first pitches on Tuesday and Wednesday nights and a noon start on Thursday. Stay with us. We'll be back with more after this timeout on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse back with you from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland where the Indians are taking on the Blue Jays this weekend. Earlier this week, we had a chance to visit with Giovanni Urshela, who had several highlight-type plays defensively at third base on the most recent road trip, including a big play in Monday night's only win on the road trip in San Francisco. It was a sacrifice bunt situation. Matt Moore, the pitcher, put a bunt down in front of the mound, and Urshela came out of nowhere, seemingly, to pick up the baseball in front of the pitcher, Josh Tomlin, and he started a double play out of it. When we had a chance to catch up with him, he talked about the preparation that allowed him to execute such a difficult play. Yeah, yeah, that's the key, like, anticipate the play. Uh, the play. Um, I was, like, uh, 99% he's going to bond, so I was ready for everything. The, the easy play, though, is to go to first and get the shore out. What, what led you to believe that you could get to there? I mean, uh, I get, like, uh, quickly to the ball, so I, I, I thought I had a chance at second. When you look at your overall game defensively, we saw you a couple of years ago, and it was tremendous. What do you work on now to, to kind of refine things and get even better than, than you were then? Is it more just a consistency thing now for you? Yeah, that's that's, that's what it is. Uh, be consistent in everything, defensively, hitting, all that stuff. Uh, that's the, the key for, for being a, a good player. And when you look at, at your situation, you had the opportunity a couple of years ago, and last year, um, not much time to, to be able to play in the major leagues. What have you had to do just from that mental standpoint to make sure that you're prepared when you do get that chance again? Yeah, keep working. Uh, never let, like, uh, put my head down, always keeping my, my head in the, in the game that, uh, like I always do right now. So that's helped me a lot. You mentioned uh, trying to come along and make some progress at the plate. What are some of the things that, that you work on uh, to try and become a better hitter, especially up here? Yeah, I mean, uh, trying uh, swinging, uh, swinging the, the uh, better pitches, pitches in the zone. So that's what I'm doing uh, uh, over there in two plays. So that's, that helped me a lot. When you look at, at what's on the infield teammate-wise, uh, you played with Francisco Lindor before. I think you played with Jose Ramirez before in the minor leagues. Uh, what is it about you three when you get together on a diamond, especially at this level now, that, that's a lot of fun for you? I mean, yes, uh, really fun. Play with him, look at him. Uh, uh, Frankie in the shirt I mean, even second, I say. Uh, uh, it's been a, a long ride, so we're here. We, we live in the, the green now. And when you look at, at the team, you come up at a time when they're trying to get it rolling, but they're still in first place. And, and even when you're at Columbus at the beginning of the season, how closely do you follow what's going on up here and where you might possibly fit at one point in time? Yeah, I mean, uh, I was concentrating on what I was doing over there. So whatever happened here, if they're waiting for the moment that they call me back again. So I was ready for, for everything. 
Well, certainly you were an impact on the game last night. Gio, thanks a lot for coming by. I appreciate it. All right, thank you. That's Giovanni Urshela talking about defense and what it's taken for him to get back to the major leagues. We also had a chance to visit with Dan Otero, Indians pitcher, in a different kind of context. When we caught up with Dan, we were outside the Indians' dugout watching Giants batting practice. And with the Giants, when you watch batting practice, you make sure you're there when the pitchers are taking batting practice because Madison Bumgarner has some of the best raw power in the major leagues, pitcher or position player. And uh, Dan had some insight on the spectacle that is Madison Bumgarner during BP. Yeah, I was drafted by them back in 2007, so I got, you know, I was very fortunate to be drafted by them, great organization, and came up with Bumgarner and got to see him hit throughout the minor leagues, and, you know, it's a show. You know, he can probably put a good uh, put a good show on during the home run derby. But, yeah, for some reason, they never relievers join in on all the fun, so the starters got all the fun every day, hitting all these cool ballparks, seeing how far they can hit it. Well, we just had to watch. And you mentioned that coming up with him during the minor leagues and, and at the double-A level, even then, that was when they, they started allowing pitchers to hit to get them ready? Yeah, because that's when you, if you played a fellow National League affiliate, the pitchers would hit in the nine spot. And uh, so Bumgarner had to start, you know, taking batting practice along with all the other starting pitchers. And he would put on displays and batting practice, kind of showing up the rest of the hitters because it was kind of a graveyard of a park. But he would still pepper him out of the park and all the hitters would get mad. So he was uh, forced to hit, hit before them so he wouldn't show them up. I remember earlier this season you were mentioning uh, this was a great place to break in because there were some veterans in that bullpen who kind of taught you about what it meant to be a major league reliever. And, and I think we saw it maybe again over the weekend. You had to come in early against Oakland and, and then be ready again. And, and talk about that, uh, who helped you and, and the mentality they had here that has stayed with you. Yeah, I mean, they had a they had a good group of guys. Uh, I think starting in 2010, they had uh, Casilla, Javi Lopez, Jeremy Affelt, and Sergio Romo were kind of uh, the core four ever going back to 2010, and they stayed together probably through 14 or even 15, I think. And, you know, so I came up in 12 with them and just learning how they prepare themselves every day. They were all very different in their own right, and uh, you learned a lot from each and every one of them, and you learned that you had to be ready every day no matter what happened the day before or no matter how many times you warmed up during the game, you always had to be ready to pitch. All right, let's circle back to the hitting thing. <laughs> Uh, on this Indians ball club, Josh Tomlin, I know, prides himself in, in being a very good hitter. Overrated or, or legit for him? I, I know he didn't get a hit last night, but certainly looked like a hitter up there. Yeah, I think he's definitely a contact hitter. I don't know if he has the power. Um, he tried to go oppo here last night. I don't know what he was thinking, trying to hit McCovey Cove. But I don't know who I would take as our best hitting pitcher. I really don't. Um, I would like to see some of our relievers give it a try. I know... They talk a big game. I wouldn't put myself near the top, but I know some of them down there talk a big game, so I'd like to see them give it a try. I'm thinking Boone Logan, if, if he, he gets his body into it. He might be the strongest person down there, so I think if he connects, it might go a long way. But I know Goody keeps talking about it. He can hit, he can hit. So you know, I'd like to see him give it a try and corkscrew into the ground maybe on a curveball. You mentioned McCovey Cove. They're saying 74 splash hits over that wall. It's a high wall. It's only 309. How can that be so hard? What well, goes on out there? Well, it's got to go into the water. Yeah. There's another 35 or 40 feet maybe that you don't see, and I think half of those are all Barry Bonds, so <laughs> there's not many that get hit out there. You know, I don't think I've yet to see a righty hit it out that way, so that's the next That's the next step. As unique a place to play as there is in the big leagues? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I remember stepping foot on here for the first time in 2012 during an exhibition series against Oakland right before or right at the end of spring training, and I was just in awe. You know, because this stadium is just a beautiful, you know, sight. And when you go up to the upper deck, you can see the bay. And, you know, it's just gorgeous here. 
Thanks for the time, Dan. Appreciate it. Always fun. No problem, Rosie. Thank you. That's Indians pitcher Dan Otero. Always good to catch up with him for some insights on the game. Stay with us. We'll come back with more as Tribe Talk continues on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse back with you from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland. Indians and Blue Jays this weekend. Then the Reds on Monday night. The Angels come in Tuesday night for a three-game series. Indians just completed a West Coast road swing, another interleague series in San Francisco against the Giants earlier this week. Scott Atchison is the Indians Major League advanced coach, former pitcher for the Tribe, and he joined us in San Francisco on that first day in to tell us what goes into getting ready for a National League team like the Giants, who the Indians just don't see very often. Yeah, you know, this is kind of the, well, for me, one of my busier days, I start, you make sure everything's ready to go for this series and everything, get with Mickey and JB and make sure all the other coaches have their stuff. And then I actually start working on the next series. So it's kind of the, one of the busier days for me in a, throughout the, I guess, throughout a series. But, um, you know, we're ready to go. And with the team, we don't see a whole lot. So there was a little more work involved there. Information always valuable, but as someone who just finished playing not too long ago, uh, how important is it to, to get it down into something that works for, for each individual pitcher? Well, I think that's the, the biggest thing of all this is trying to take, I mean, there's information for days. You can look into all kinds of numbers and find all kinds of stuff, but, you know, getting really with Mickey and JB and, and trying to take all the information we're given and, we, and I look at and we see and everybody that helps on the other ends of it and giving the pitcher something simple. You don't want to be out there. I mean, having done it, you don't want to be standing out there going, oh, was it this or this? You know, give them something simple, a couple places they can go, a couple pitches that seem to work the best against those guys. And then it's up to them to go out and execute and use it. And, you know, and, and they do a pretty good job of that most of the time. This job was new for you last year. How long did it take you to get to a comfort level with what you're doing? I don't know. Probably a month or so kind of just getting used to it. And, and now I have kind of the way – I, I look through the information, an order, and, and a plan, and um, how it makes sense to me to get to get through it all and get what needed, and feel like I can give, you know, like I said, to to the staff and to to the pitchers and everything. So, you know, I have a feel of it, but it took probably a month or so to kind of get that good feel. Scott Atchison joining us, Indians major league uh, advanced scout, and and puts it all together, helps with uh, the ball club and pitchers too. And uh, Scott, you had a a good major league career with a couple of different clubs, including the Giants, only for a little while. You were saying before about two months you were here, but you were here in 07 when Barry Bonds hit a record-breaking home run. What was that night like here at a ballpark that's really fun most of the time? You know, it was crazy. I mean, obviously it was a packed house. It, it stayed that way, it seemed like, most of the time. I got called up, I think, a couple days maybe before, and, and everybody, he was sitting on the, I think he had the tie. He'd already tied it, and so he was sitting on it. We were waiting for him, obviously, to hit one. And every night and every at-bat, every time he came to the plate, everybody rose, everybody got excited, you know, and then he broke it against the Nationals. Um, and, you know, it was it was a fun moment, it, obviously a historical moment in the game, and, and everybody was really excited. And, you know, we took a few minutes after he hit it before the game got going again and stuff and I happened to be standing down backing up we had somebody getting loose to come into the game so I was standing down there protecting the catcher so it was kind of neat to be on the field and see it when he did it each time he came up did you kind of stop what you were doing to some extent uh, that you could well yeah I think you know here in San Fran there's no bullpens so the bullpen guys all kind of hang out in the dugout throughout the game which is abnormal for most stadiums and I think if you happen to be underneath or something trying to get warm or whatever if his name 
you know, he knew you knew he was coming up. Everybody was in the dugout and on the top step and ready to go. You know, I wanted to see a piece of history. You mentioned the, where the bullpens are, and, and I, I remember, I believe you, you pitched here with the Indians, correct? Yes. So the, the, I think that was the last time the Indians were here, and if I remember correctly, you were getting hecked a little bit. For fans who don't know it, you, you look older than you are, and I think is the nice way to be gray a little bit sooner than most. Uh, what were the fans doing, and, and how did you, you handle that and, and kind of put them not in their place, but uh, at least diffuse the situation? You know, I, I mean, it, it happened to me quite a bit at the end of my career for sure and probably even earlier in my career. But, um, you know, down here, th- these fans are really good and, and they're into the game and they're and they're on top of a lot of things. And I think a couple times during warming up, you know, just kind of like, oh, who's warming up? Why is the coach warming up? What are you going to do? You know, the things like that. And you just – sometimes they're funny, so you kind of turn around and acknowledge and laugh. It's it, it, it's fun. And, you know, if it keeps going. But for the most part, you're ignoring it and, and – going about your business and doing what you need to do to get ready to go pitch in a game so you know just try not to acknowledge it most of the time but if you hear a good one you know maybe you give them a little laugh you know just to let them know that that was pretty good you know and and they seem to enjoy that too but most parks in, in this one especially team uh, trying to trying to get it rolling here out of the all-star break you you're coaching for terry francona now you've played for tito for portions of your career what makes him good in spots like this where the team's trying to get it rolling and maybe struggling to do that I think he doesn't overreact. That's you know we don't doesn't panic and and kind of go into a oh we got to have a meeting or we got to do this or we got to do that. He you know he just understanding and and trying to reinforce to all the guys that that calmness of you know you're going to go through stretches throughout a year where there's some ups and there's some downs and yes we haven't probably been as consistent as we'd like, but we're in a position where we control things and we control the situation in the division right now and it's a matter of guys just going out and and doing that and, and playing and. You know, like I said, you're going to have stretches throughout where you lose a few, and you're going to have stretches where you're going to win. And and Tito really, I think, kind of rides that evenly. And that him doing that and having that outlook on it all carries over into the players and into the staff, so that nobody really overreacts, good or bad, for that matter. And and you know, just kind of goes with it. Scott, thanks so much for coming by. Appreciate it. No problem. That's Indians Major League Advanced Coach Scott Atchison. Also, while in San Francisco, we had a chance to visit with a former Cleveland Indian, Dwayne Kuyper, played here back in the, the mid-'70s, outstanding defensive second baseman, also played for the San Francisco Giants, and now a longtime broadcaster with the Giants, does great work with the likes of John Miller and Mike Kruko and also Dave Fleming on their broadcast team. But uh, Kuyper says... He'll always be a Cleveland Indian, and he says anytime the Giants and Indians get together, it brings back some great memories. It really does. And, uh, you know, just even seeing the uniform, just even seeing the C on the cap. And, uh, and I really, you know, look, when you go back and, you know, you're, I mean, I'm in my middle 60s now, and you go back at uh, your favorite years, you know, look, in, in my 20s, I got to the I got to the big leagues. I stayed in the big leagues. I had my best years in the big leagues, and they were all in a Cleveland uniform. You know, I bought my first uh, condo uh, in Cleveland, and and the memories I have there they just go on and on and on. And you know, you kind of you know you, you kind of separate your life in when you played, and then you retired and you're not playing anymore. So the whole playing part of, of the years I had a chance to be in the big leagues, you know, the memories in Cleveland just go on and on and on. And I mean, I, I met 
great people in Cleveland. I still have friends there that uh, that I consider family. So, yes, I see the Indians when they come into town, and I have very, very warm thoughts. Uh, I, I could go on and on about the seventh game of the World Series and how I couldn't stand to watch, and I was listening to uh, you guys on my s cell phone walking on my street because I couldn't watch. Uh, and my wife thought that I was just absolutely nuts. What, what's at stake in this for you? I said, well, there's a lot. There's a lot of people that are going to make it's going to make their world if they can win this game. And it turned out that they didn't. But uh, I think that's a long-winded answer that, that yes, the, the Indians uniform still means a lot to me. And you mentioned last year's World Series. Obviously, the Indians going through a, a nice stretch right now. They had the great run in the mid-'90s. But you were a part of some decent clubs that maybe don't don't get credit for that, maybe because it was the way the, the American League was aligned and, and just the way things lined up, but pretty good baseball teams, too. We had good teams. We had good lineups. I mean, uh, look, anytime you have Frank Robinson and Rico Cardi and Buddy Bell and Charlie Spikes and George Hendrick, and anytime you have that group of guys all in the same lineup, it, it's a good lineup. But, you know, you're always competing. Then, And, you know, there are a few teams shy because of expansion back then. But all the teams we played had great players. So it was just really hard to compete when you're not drawing a whole lot of people like we weren't in those days at, at uh, Old Municipal Stadium. You're just really not going to get a winning-winning attitude. And we never did. You know, I, we got close to 500 in, in 76, I think we got close to 500. But that's the best we did while I was there. And, and that's why when... when the tribe started to really turn things around in the 90s. It was really fun to watch the town embrace the organization again and, uh, and watch, wa watch the people have fun because we knew that it was always there as far as the fan base, and, uh, and it was just fun to watch them all come together. You rattled off a bunch of teammates. Is there a certain television announcer now for the Indians that, uh, that you played with and spent some time with too? Well, yeah, you know, look, when uh, when I look next door now and I see, you know, Rick Manning, I, I think about uh, the phone call I got in 1972 when I was in Reno. And uh, it was my first year. And I, I get a phone call in June from Phil Segge. And, and I already had an apartment with two other players. And I answered the phone and Mr. Segge said, hey, uh, we just signed a kid out of uh, Buffalo. His name is Rick Manning. He's 17 years old, and he will be your new roommate. And I was like, well, I got two roommates. He goes, he will be your new roommate. Well, as it turns out, I'm from a dairy farm in Wisconsin, and I never really left other than going to college for three years. Rick Manning's from Buffalo. Who's going to show who the ropes when we get to this apartment in Reno? And uh, it turned out that he showed me a few ropes, I showed him a few ropes, and we've had a great relationship uh, since 1972. And, by the way, uh, he's turned out to be a really fantastic broadcaster. Dwayne Kuyper joining us, Giants broadcaster, former Cleveland Indian, former San Francisco Giant. You get to broadcast games in one of the beautiful ballparks in baseball. You played at the old ballpark. What has this place meant to the franchise in terms of energizing the fan base and, in turn, uh, helping this ball club? Right. Well, now it becomes, Jim, a destination where... Even though the team isn't playing very well, people are still going to come out because of the ballpark. Uh, look, I tell people all the time, yeah, we sit up there, we have a great view, you've seen it, you see the water, you see you see a lot of things. 
But we paid our dues to get to here because we had to do those games at Candlestick where you had to almost close the windows to keep your scorecard from blowing out the window. And prior to that, I had the lovely privilege of playing in Municipal Stadium. So I feel like I deserve the seat that I have and the view that I have uh, now that we're in this beautiful park. By the way, the Jake is pretty cool, too. A lifetime in baseball. Dwayne Kuyper, thanks so much for coming by. appreciate it. You got it. All right, Jim. That's former Indian Dwayne Kuyper, now a great broadcaster for the San Francisco Giants with some good memories about his time in Cleveland. Stay with us when we come back. It's our final segment, the Farm Report, coming your way next on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Tribe Talk continues from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland. Jim Rosenhouse along with you this weekend. And we finish up this week's show with our weekly farm report. James Harris is the Indians Director of Player Development. Had a chance to catch uh, the Mahoning Valley Scrappers, the Indians single-A club in the New York Penn League, recently. And he says Oscar Gonzalez, an outfielder with Mahoning Valley, is certainly a player that uh, Indians fans will be able to get excited about someday soon. Yes, with Oscar Gonzalez, he was the MVP of the Arizona League last year. He's a he's a big body, good kid, works hard, and has, has produced both at the Arizona level and here in Mahoning. So it's really exciting to kind of see guys put it all together so you can see it on the field as well as off the field. And when you mention he, he played last year in the Arizona Summer League, these are both short season summer leagues, but pretty big difference in level of play. Yeah, I would say Arizona Summer League, um, the people in, that are playing in that are usually high school drafts. They're coming, they're like 18, 19 years old, and they're playing in Arizona. And then our college players usually come and play in the New York Penn League, which is Mahoning Valley for us. So there's a difference in age and, and sometimes ability, too. A couple of high school kids who were in the limelight last year because of where they were drafted very high. Uh, Will Benson, a first-round draft pick. How's he coming along at Mahoning Valley? Oh, Will's definitely adjusting. This is his second year of pro ball. Last year he was in the, the Arizona Summer League, as we discussed before. Now he's in his, with an affiliate team. Um, you can see his, his personality coming out a little bit. He's starting to settle in. And then because he's starting to settle in and, and all the work that he's put in is starting to show on the field now. So we're really excited about who he is and, and what he brings to our team. And uh, a player drafted right near him, just behind, was Nolan Jones. So I know played a lot of shortstop in high school, but looks like third base for him in pro ball. And how's that going? Yeah, he's making the, the move over to, to third base, and he's attacked that challenge, and he looks better every day. So I think initially going into it, I think it was a challenge for, for him because he had played shortstop his entire life, and he's a former hockey player that most people don't know. And now to get him on, on that corner has been really good for him, and, and he's starting to adjust. On the mound, uh, you had a chance to see Grant Hawken, who uh, has six starts under his belt already at Mahoning Valley. And, and what are you seeing there from another kid who, who recently was drafted? Yeah, and he was a guy coming off of an injury, so it was good to, to see him healthy, to get out there and compete. He he had a really good day, and, and you can start to see the confidence building in him from start to start. So it was exciting to see him out there healthy and competing. On the pitching front, obviously there's a, a lot of kids there trying to get their innings in, and they had a chance to watch a major leaguer pitch in a rehab assignment recently, Danny Salazar. Uh, one of his rehab assignments came with Mahoning Valley. What's some of the residual effect of a, of a guy who goes down there and, and pitches, or a position player like Austin Jackson who's been there? What's the residual effect for the kids who are there? I guess the really good part is that those guys are where the minor league players will want to be. 
So as we talked about earlier about this level, is these kids are in their first or second year of pro ball. So to see a guy come down from the major league and see how he works and how he prepares and how he goes about his business, and even down to the level of skill that it takes to play at the major league level, is both motivating and eye-opening for our, for our young players. So we're really excited when guys can go down there and get their work in. But when they leave, they're still being talked about about how they went about their business. So it, it's upped our level as we've gotten there. James Harris joining us, Indians Director of Player Development. Your manager, Mahoning Valley, a first-year manager in Luke Carlin. And some fans may remember Luke as a backup catcher here several years ago, now in the coaching game and the managing game at a low level. What do you like about uh, what he brings to the table for these kids? Uh, Luke's a young, energetic guy who loves the game and loves teaching the game to young players. So he's connected very well with those guys. He comes in every day with, with challenges for them and he keeps them up and motivated and getting better every day. All we ask is is that they build an environment so our players can get better, and he's done that and uh, and done it in a way that guys have fun. And one of the other areas that uh, the players certainly have some challenges is a lot of them are on their own for the first time, and host families come into play quite a bit in terms of their living situation when they're at home. And how important is that, you think, at that level to to have at least a a family-type atmosphere sometimes? I think it's really important. What's I mean, these these families are saints. Um, they're taking players um, who are pretty much adults. I mean, they're young men becoming adults and bringing them into their family, and and in a new area um, in the country for most of them, and hosting them and having them, giving them a place to live, and basically giving them a family eases the transition into pro ball, and they become an extended family for our players. So we're really grateful to all the people that that lend their home and their and their lives uh, to our players. All part of being a player at Mahoning Valley, one of the lower levels in the Indians minor league system. Short season single A in the New York Penn League and not too far from Cleveland, just outside of Youngstown. James, thanks so much for coming by. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Want people to get out there and, and see those guys. It's a, it's a good opportunity to see some good baseball. That's James Harris, the Indians Director of Player Development with the Weekly Farm Report. And that'll do it for this week's edition of Tribe Talk. Great to have you with us this weekend. Hope you can tune in next week when we'll bring you the show from Chicago, the Indians taking on the White Sox next weekend in the Windy City. Until then, this is Jim Rosenhouse reminding you that you've been listening to Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Indians Radio Network has been brought to you by Cleveland Clinic. Access the number one care in Ohio anytime, anywhere. By Subway, the official training restaurant of the Cleveland Indians. By KeyBank, the banking home of the Cleveland Indians. 